All right, all you complainers out there, aren't you glad you're not in Newfoundland today? Yeah. So we drove down yesterday afternoon, right at the very worst time of the storm. But uh, here we are, and uh, God is with us. Hey, just want to say that uh, today we're going to be starting a series on the God you can know, and uh, we want to look at some of the characteristics, some of the attributes of God, but, but perhaps in a little different way, and in, in, in seeing how they kind of relate to us personally. So when we talk about the fact that God knows all, kind of attached to it, and he still loves us. We talk about the fact that God is always right. What, how does that play out in, in, in our lives? And so we're going to explore some of these uh, themes uh, uh, in the, uh, the next uh, few weeks leading up to our time of uh, uh, Live Called and Share Hope. And uh, so I encourage you to, to join uh, with us. It sticks in the back of my mind that I told you this story before, but uh, if I did, just continue to smile along with me. Um, it's, it's a story of a, of, of a father uh, who ventured into the bedroom of his uh, six-year-old son. Crumpled up sheets of paper were tossed all around the room as the little guy lay on the floor intently sketching on a notepad. What are you doing? Father asked his young son. I'm drawing God, was the reply. The dad smiled slightly and said, But son, God has not been seen by anyone. Nobody knows what God looks like. Well, undeterred by his father's comments and without looking up from his page, the boy responded, Well, they will by the time I'm finished. (laughs) Gotta love this little guy's confidence. However, having a clear picture of God and knowing what he is like is not something that is easily figured out despite this little guy's enthusiasm. The question of what God is like and whether or not we can know him has been around a long time and it's not likely to go away. On one occasion, R.C. Sproul, the popular American Bible teacher, was, was asked, in your opinion, what is the greatest spiritual need in the world today? Dr. Sproul paused and then replied, The greatest need in people's lives is to discover the true identity of God. He pointed out that most non-religious people do not really understand the God that they are rejecting. And if they did, they would probably call a truce, at least a temporary one, to see if the battle was worth continuing. Well, then Dr. Sproul was asked this follow-up question. And what, in your opinion, is the greatest need in the lives of church people? Without hesitation, he gave the very same response. To discover the true identity of God. If believers really understood the character and the personality and the nature of God, it would revolutionize their lives. Here we have it expressed that the greatest thoughts that we can entertain are about God. And that both seeker and believer have a similar quest when it comes to understanding the nature of God. There is an undeniable urge within us to experience God. And whether this translates into a negative or positive experience has a lot to do with how we view God and what our understanding is about our ability to get to know him. In one of its more provocative issues, McLean's magazine featured as its cover story, Is God Poison? 
The driving rationale behind McLean's coverage of this topic was the shift in thinking among anti-theists from God being dead to the acknowledgement that he indeed is very much alive and is to blame for much of the world's trouble and strife. The article quotes the late Christopher Hitchens, who was an avid anti-God activist before his death, concluding that religion poisons everything. Interestingly, the year before Christopher Hitchens died, his brother Peter authored a book entitled The Rage Against God, How Atheism Led Me to Faith. Two brothers grappling with the question of God, one defiant to his death, while the other stepped away from disbelief into the Christian faith. The question of the existence of God and whether or not he is worth knowing keeps circulating through the halls of higher education, households and lunchrooms across our nation and the whole of the Western world. It is picked up by the media as headliner stuff. In many ways, it could be argued that since this question just will not go away, only adds to the possibility that God does indeed exist. Our quest for God begins with an inner sense that there must be something or someone beyond ourselves. To suppress these thoughts is, is a difficult, if not impossible, thing to do. It's like, like trying to hold our breath for a long time. We can succeed for a while, but eventually a reflex kicks in and we start breathing again. On one occasion, I was sitting next to a woman in the county courthouse as I waited to appeal a traffic ticket that I had received. Yes, it's true, I had broken the law, but not as badly as the officer had said that I did. (laughs) And so I decided to challenge the offense for which I was charged. I had never done this kind of thing before, and I thought, before I die, I should at least give it a try. So the the woman sitting next to me had come to appeal a a speeding ticket that she had gotten. Someone had told her that she could do such a thing, and although she asked me if I thought it was possible to argue against radar, I mean, in the spirit of adventure that I was feeling at the time, I told her, well, it may be worth a try. She had brought with her her two preschool daughters. They were being typical preschoolers, running around, hanging off the ropes, keeping people in line, bugging each other, ignoring their mother's call to come and sit next to her. Finally, the youngest one tripped and fell, cracking her head off the concrete floor. This led to an outburst of tears. As her mother picked her up, the little girl stopped crying and began to hold her breath. It didn't look like she was going to take a breath anytime soon. Her face turned red and then a light blue. I felt a sense of panic rising up within me. Her mother held her up and calmly said to her, Breathe, breathe. And I found myself subconsciously agreeing with this mother. Yes, breathe, breathe. I was becoming a wreck. Eventually the toddler gasped for air, gasped for air and the crying rose to a new crescendo. The mother looked at me and asked me how long I had been waiting. I told her an hour. She looked around at the room full of other defendants and did a mental calculation that it would likely be less stressful for her to just pay her fine and leave. And that's what she did. We can suppress our natural urge to breathe and be successful even to the point of losing consciousness. 
But at some point, the natural inclination of our bodies kicks in and we gasp for air whether or not we really want to. Similarly, we can suppress our natural inclination to believe that there is a God. The reality is that there lies within us an irrepressible urge for God. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans 1 where he declares that the the truth about God, that, that God has made himself obvious to us. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, the Apostle wrote. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. At some point, the question of God's existence will force us to deal with where we stand on this matter. The biblical perspective is that while we are suppressing our inner urge to deal with the reality of God, God is calling out to us, breathe, breathe. I want you to experience life to the full. So breathe me in. One of the ways in which I breathe in the reality of God is through nature. For I find that the beauty of the earth makes me conscious of God. Now be clear in what I mean. I'm not suggesting that the beauty of nature alone will bring me into direct contact with God. However, it leads me to consider that he has been there creating his masterpieces and thinking of me in the process. Dallas Willard exclaims, We should, to begin with, think that God leads a very interesting life and that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. The Heavenly Father cherishes the earth and each human being found in it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintedly affectionate regard of God toward all his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is to the core. The psalmist puts it pretty straight when he wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. To the psalmist's eyes, this is a God-bathed and God-permeated world. It is a world filled with a glorious reality where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control. Although he obviously permits some of it for good reasons to be for a while otherwise than he wishes. It is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God and because God is always in it. It is a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. Mallory Ortberg, daughter of author and pastor John Ortberg, writes, I've been asked by some how I can be so certain in the existence of a good God. And I have asked them in return if they have no eyes to see. God has woven himself irretrievably into, into nature, left his fingerprints behind us to show us where he's been. His signature is smeared into the curls of the Milky Way. 
forever circling above the rim of the world. God has scattered fragments of, fr- fragments of himself all, over, all about the earth like a father hides eggs in the yard before his son's very first Easter, hiding behind a tree with laughing eyes and waiting to see which of the treasures his child will uncover first. God is crying out all around us. He is present in the breathless silence of the snow-smothered mountains, He is dancing with the sunlight that shatters on the ocean's waves. He is hiding in the decaying moss and lichen and crumbling shale in the old forgotten places in the world. No jagged mountain throws its sharp weight against the sky that is not a testament to his goodness. The entire sum of creation, each private and individual act of nature, is God waving hello. What if you were to seriously look for God in the world around you. To take the chance that he might be trying to get your attention. To risk waving back. To ask God to open your eyes to see him. To let yourself explore the wonder of it all. We are so familiar with the fact that we can understand the world in which we live that most of the time we just take it for granted. Life becomes one big routine. The alarm goes off at the same time every morning. We shuffle to the bathroom and stand half comatose in the shower. We eat stale cornflakes for breakfast and get in the same traffic lane to travel to the office or classroom. We live most of life on cruise control. Psychologists who study behavioral patterns refer to a phenomenon called habituation. The idea is that when a new object or stimulus is introduced to our environment, we are intensely aware of it, but the awareness fades over time. So when you begin to wear a new wristwatch, for, for instance, you feel it on your wrist constantly, but soon the sensation wears off and you don't even realize it's there. Or when you buy a new car, you are fanatical about washing it and keeping the interior clean. But after a while, you don't notice the dirt accumulating on the exterior until your finger, your neighbor fingers wash me on the side of the door. The crumpled potato chips in the back seat have been blurred into non-existence as they blend in with the upholstery. It is quite possible for us to engage in spiritual habituation. God isn't real or unreal to us. We just don't think about him. Life is lived on autopilot, and God becomes no more noticeable to us than a half-empty bag of potato chips that blends into the fabric of the back seat of our lives. When God is dismissed from our lives, something profound is lost. We lose the sense of awe, of wonder, of mystery. Life takes on the position that I'm okay and you're okay. But if God is to believe at all, then okay is not okay. There is a transcendent nature to God that although inexpressible in human language, is nevertheless a deep factor for who, for all who, for who we are and who we become. We cannot allow our inability to get our heads around everything to do with God to scare us away from engaging in the inescapable reality of God's loving presence. So consider the fact that maybe ordinary days don't need to be ordinary at all. That they can be opportunities to see God with wonder-filled eyes, 
part of the required course in exploring the possibilities that God is real and that he is at work in your life. It invariably comes up whenever we visit our daughter and her husband and family who live in Alberta. A conversation that happened between our grandson Joshua and his grandmother a few years ago. You see, winters in Alberta, the extremeness of the winters in Alberta can be miserable to all us Easterners. They laugh at us when we complain about the kind of weather that we had this weekend. (laughs) On one occasion when my wife was visiting, she and our daughter and four-year-old Joshi were hurrying to get in the car while the, the wind beat ice pellets against their exposed flesh. After securing Josh into the car seat, my wife rushed to get into the vehicle and shut the door. What yucky weather, Janie said as she pulled on her seatbelt. From the back seat, this little voice called out, It's not yucky. This is God's creation, and it's not yucky. (laughs) Remember that as you leave today out into the world. The satisfied acceptance found in this little guy's observation continues to direct our attention towards the reality of God's activity in all of our days. C.S. Lewis wrote, Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe in Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. The existence of God in the end does not depend on our ability to think him up or to deny he exists. The bottom line is that we can only know God exists because he has taken the initiative to reveal himself personally to us. If God is to be truly known at all, it is necessary for him to make himself known personally. And so Jesus makes this clear when he said, the only one who truly knows the Father is the Son, but the Son wants to tell others about the Father so that they can know him too. I have a good friend who recently told me that he had become an agnostic. He didn't totally deny the fact that God existed, but he had pretty well concluded that any belief in a personal God who was active in his life was just not reality. I began to probe more into his rationale for his decision, and soon our conversation came to Jesus. He looked at me and said with a bit of a sigh, Jesus, now there's a problem. He totally messes with my worldview. At some point, the question of God brings us to the problem of Jesus. As a real historical person who walked on the face of this planet, Jesus cannot simply be ignored or made to go away when it comes to facing up to the reality of God. When Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent, he was making a specific declaration about his role in making God known to us. In actuality, everything that God has revealed to be true about himself culminates in Jesus. The entire storyline of the Bible is centered around the revelation of God to the world and the person of Christ. He is the climax of God's commitment 
to be known. And just to clarify, the reference that Jesus makes to eternal life is not to suggest that all he is interested in is making this all happen, all the goodness of God happen to us on the other side. Many times people think only in terms of Jesus' message being to prepare us for what happens to us when we die. And although there is a very very real component to this purpose of Jesus' life and teaching, it is not the full extent of God's gospel. The downside of this focus is that it keeps us from experiencing the full benefit of God's presence in our lives here and now. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus brings to us that which God intends for us to know, that, that God is right here with us right now. We don't have to wait until we die to experience the power and presence of God. Jesus has made this a reality in this present life. This truth is expressed in an interesting interaction between Jesus and a, and a would-be follower in, in the New Testament named, named Nathaniel. Nathaniel was, was a bit of a skeptic when it came to believing that Jesus could be the Messiah. His response was, you've got to be kidding when he was told that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, could be the one of whom the prophets had spoken. However, through a personal encounter with Jesus, his life was changed. In order to engage Nathanael in facing up to the reality of God being real to him, Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now as a Jew, Nathanael would readily make the connection between Jesus' statement here and Jacob's dream of a ladder reaching from heaven to earth on which angels descended and ascended. Jacob on the run, sleeping in a ditch on a pillow of stone, saw the earth and heaven connected by a passageway with angels coming and going and the Lord himself standing over him. He awoke in awe saying, God lives here. I've stumbled into God's home. This is the awesome presence and entrance rather into heaven. Jesus is making the point that he incarnates the dream of Joseph. That he is the connection between heaven and earth. He brings the presence of God into space and time. He had come to fulfill the function of the latter in Jacob's dream. Jesus was the way to experience the reality of God in the life of Nathaniel. And in this truth, the essential mission of Jesus is defined. To bring the presence and power of God into our lives, right here, right now. And to introduce right thinking about God and the fact that we can know and experience Him in ways that will totally change us. Again, quoting Willard, until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with His presence, The word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. So here's a thought. God has made himself known to us through undeniable inner consciousness, through beauty, wonder, and ultimately in Jesus. He has done so not to take our breath away, but to invite us to breathe in the reality of life lived purposefully, to experience more than okay, to encounter him in the magnificence of the ordinary. So the next time you're tempted 
to hold your breath over questions about how this whole thing all comes together. Listen, God is saying to you, breathe, breathe. Breathe in the joy of my loving presence along with faith and life. With such realities in mind, we have the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. Let's pray. And so, Father, we pause in the midst of life to focus our attention upon you. We confess that it's so easy for us just to slip through life without giving the kind of thought to you that will help us to experience life to the full. We know you, we know things about you, but so often we fail to know you in the fullness of who you are. And so I pray today that we will not be satisfied with just a surface knowledge of who you are, but that we will learn to breathe, breathe you in, that we will go into the depth of knowledge that you have in mind for us. And so, Father, we just ask again, that you will cause us to experience the fullness of who you are so that life for us will become more than mundane. Life for us will become filled with joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. It occurred to me at, that at the end of a busy, busy week <laughs> that uh, God had kind of become like my wristwatch. I knew he was there, but just didn't really gain the fullness of him being present to me. And uh, so I was reading in Isaiah, and Isaiah talks about being silent before God. And then the psalmist's words came to me that I'm going to leave with you. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. And so in the stillness of the morning, when you first wake, know that God is with you. In the stillness of the night, just before you drop off to sleep, know that God is with you. Perhaps in the rush of the day, you, we will just take some time, take a minute just to kick back and remind yourself, God is with you. And so may this presence, this presence of the everlasting Father, grip your heart and, and increase your imagination for all that he wants to do in and through you. In the name of Jesus. We do have those who are willing to and are, are desirous of praying with you if you have some particular need you would like to have someone pray with you about so our prayer team will make their way here um, and be ready to serve you. God bless you and uh, have a good rest of the day.